I uh, was tested on that account several times this week. And uh, after the first thing in the week, Monday, I was headed to Lakeland. You know where the construction zone is there? And uh, we waited patiently in line, traffic heavy, and here comes this guy that's supposed to be in front of you around you on the left side and there's no place for him really to get in but he's down to determine he's going to save those five seconds and I had to think about Sunday morning and once I accepted the fact that I just need to let him go on and get in front of me it really did relieve some of that frustration that I don't think. But getting to that point was pretty difficult for me because traffic was heavy. He just needed to wait his turn, but he didn't, and it was all right, you know. And you know, you've probably have experienced this. You get in a hurry like that, and you get somewhere, and you know maybe it's been 30 minutes later, and you pull into Walmart or wherever you're going, and this guy that you blew away 20 miles down the road pulls in right behind you. He made all the stoplights that you had to stop at, you know, all those kinds of things. But I think God does those things for us to help us remember that we need to put others before ourselves. And uh, so today we're going to be looking at the second part of a part of a growing church, and uh, that is love without condition. Last week we talked about welcoming without judgment. Does not matter your background, the road you took to get here, what you've done or not done, how you dress, look, smell, talk, walk, or believe. You're welcome here without judgment. And we'll let God take care of, of cleaning you up. We can't do it anyway. But I promise you, if you stick around long enough, if you get in His Word long enough, it's just like the little boy with the coal basket that water just continues to run through. God will begin to clean you up and we'll all be the better for it. And so we're going to welcome without judgment. Today we're going to talk about the second part of that is loving without condition. We're going to be in John chapter 13. This is the beginning of what's called the upper room discourse. It is Jesus' final words to his disciples just before he's about to be crucified. And I'm going to read the text, and then we'll go backwards just a little bit. We're going to be mainly focusing on two verses today, 34 and 35. But I'm going to drop back to verse 31, and it says this. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately little children I shall be with you a little longer that addressed the little children is a is is worded like it's a compassionate addressing it, it would be like us saying honey would just listen to me it's not some off the wall thing I'm getting ready to tell you but it's something that's going to make a difference in your life if you'll just listen just hone in, pay attention 
I shall be with you a little longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It sounds a little bit repetitive there, but it's needed because Jesus is saying something to them that they have seen lived out in his life, but they've failed to understand it. And it's inevitable that just like the disciples failed, and some of that's recorded in Scripture, I'm not sure all of their failings are recorded there. But they failed Jesus, they failed one another, they failed in life, and it's inevitable that we will fail one another. However, when we fail one another, that should not change our love for one another. You see, the, the close friends of Jesus, the twelve disciples, when they failed him, he showed love even the more. So I want our hearts to be today that God would deal with each of us individually. You and me today, if we're not there as Jesus describes this love in this in this little part of the discourse, we will allow God to speak to our heart. It's 155 verses long. He's about to be crucified. He's closing in on the end of his ministry on earth. Last week we're at the we were at the beginning of his ministry. And here we are, just about he's 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 just about to the point he's getting ready to go to the cross, and he says one more thing a new commandment I can just imagine Thomas and Peter especially thinking all this that he's taught us and he's got one more thing and then he says a new commandment they thought they'd heard it all they had seen it lived out but scripture tells us they didn't understand it let's look at what it says in verse 7 of chapter 13, Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. He had told them over and over and over, I've come to live and die to redeem the world. They didn't understand it. And it was to the point he was getting ready to go to the cross. He said, I have one more thing. Every one of us have been there. I can remember vividly. I was about 13 years old, maybe 14. And my mama did this several times. I'd get ready to leave the house, and she'd holler, Harold, before you go, or Harold, make sure you do this, or most of the time it was something I didn't need to be doing, and she would say, don't do this while you're whatever I'm going to do. And I was probably about 13 years old, 14 years old. And uh, I would sneak off with a group of our close buddies and we would go to the railroad bridge and swim in the Green River. And there are places in the Green River they've never found the bottom. It's pretty deep. You don't walk across it like you do a lot of the lakes and stuff here in Florida. And uh, I couldn't swim very well. I don't know if I could really swim at all. 
And my mom was scared to death of water, and I don't know how you ever learn how to swim if you don't ever get in the water, but that was her philosophy. Don't get in the water because you can't swim. And I remember her specifically saying, don't you go to that river. And that's where I was headed. I didn't say, no, mom, I'm not going. Or I didn't lie to her right then, but in essence, I did lie to her. But, and I remember coming back home, and uh, she met me at the door. She knew where I'd been. I have a brother that's 13 months, almost 14 months older than me, and we wouldn't let him go. This is what he did. He told Mama where I'd been. So it, it don't take long, you know, your sins will find you out. But I was grounded, I think, for about 30 days. I'm not sure how long, but it was a pretty long time, I'm sure. But Jesus is getting ready to leave, and it's just as though he stops them in, in mid-sentence. He says, just one more thing. I have a new commandment for you. That you love one another. Love is the theme here. You've never heard it like this before. I've lived it out in front of you, but you didn't understand it. So now I'm going to spell it out for you. We're like that today. We know what to do in many cases. We've seen it as an example in front of us, our parents and those before us, but many times it takes somebody sitting down and spelling it out. I want you to love one another. As I have loved you. Don't you think the thoughts started racing back? The times that Jesus had forgiven them and loved them even in spite of themselves. They begin to think about those things. The greatest commandment. Number one in your notes. I want you to look at the priority of the new commandment. Jesus said this is a, a new commandment. It's going to be bigger and fulfill all that I've said before. The priority of the new commandment. Two things about that priority was the impulse of that new commandment. It was authentic because it came from the one who had proven that love by living it out in front of him. It was an authentic love. It was his love. The love of Jesus. The love which is long-suffering and unending and kind beyond understanding. Love one another he said with a love that is stronger than death I want you to love don't you know the two disciples that have had that argument who's going to be the greatest that probably came back to mind the times that we're reminded of these kinds of things we begin to think about family relationships or brothers and sisters or neighbors that we Maybe squabbled with. He says, Peter and John, I know you're so different in temperament, but I want you to love one another. Simon and Matthew, you come from such vast backgrounds, differences in background, but I want you to love one another. Adventurous Andrew and Doubting Thomas with such different personalities, Jesus said, I want you to love one another. We can look around this room today and see such diversity in status as the world would see it in color ethnic background 
culture, places we've been or not been. But I want to tell you today that Jesus is saying we need to love one another. None of that stuff matters. Let me read something to you that was handed to me just a few minutes ago. Hope I haven't lost it. There it is. Life is too short for drama and petty things. So laugh hard, love truly, and forgive quickly. Live while you're alive. Tell the people that you love, you love them at every opportunity. Forgive now those who made you cry. Because you might not get a second chance. We only have today. And Jesus was saying, I need you to love one another. From the highest of status to the lowest of society, I want you to love one another. His love is an impulse. It was that authentic love that he had poured out to those 12 men. And then he says, letter B in your notes, the impact of this love. I'm not just having to love one another just to do it. But the impact of that love. Verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The mark, the insignia of your life. It's not what you believe. It's not written in your doctrinal statement. It's not the house you live in. It's not the type of music you sing on Sunday morning or the ordinance of your church or your faithfulness to the church. As important as these things may be, but Jesus is saying, this is how they'll recognize me and you is the way you love one another. None of the others going to matter. This is a new commandment I give you. It's a love that cannot come from anywhere else. It's, it's to begin with us. It began with the disciples. And it has to begin in the church. They're not going to find it in a bar somewhere. They're not going to find it in their next door neighbor. They're not going to find it in their family circle. But they better find it in the body of Christ if they're going to find it. Because listen to this. Romans 5, 5 says this. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's the same love that Jesus is talking about here. Not only the priority of this love, but look at the power of the love. In the Greek language, there are at least four different distinct words that describe love. Some scholars say seven. But most narrow it down to four, some even down to three. And I'm going to give you a brief description of each one of them. The Greek word, or, or the Greek language is specific and even in this specificness of the language, you still have to look at the context because even in these four words, there's overlapping of meaning. So to understand clearly, we have to really look at the context. But there's four different ones. Agape is the highest of those. It's a love that is, is, is putting others before yourself. It's a love that God has for man and man for God. It denotes one's feeling for children and even sometimes for a spouse. It's the unconditional love of God for his children. The next one is eros. It means mostly of the passionate kind of love. When we think of erotic, it's the same Greek term that that word comes from, eros. It's those, that passion that causes people sometimes to eventually fall in real love. And then phileo, or phileo, means affectionate regard or a brotherly love. It's the kind of love that as long as everything's going okay with me and you, we work together, then you know we're going to love one another. But if you get a promotion and I don't, then that kind of love's just not going to last. 
It's that brotherly love. It's the, it's the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And then the last one is storge. It's the putting up with the situation or loving the tyrant. It's, it's kind of like the love that a parent might have for a child that's just gone off the deep end, but they still love the child, just not the tyrant in the child. And it's also used for referencing the love that we might have for our country or the love we have for a favorite football team. It's the kind of love that is felt but not necessarily received back in return. Closely to the, again, overlapping with agape love. But the one Jesus is talking about here is that agape love, that strong love, the love that is supernatural, that only comes from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the love of spiritual attachment or fellowship that shares needs and blessings and joys and sorrows together and gifts as well. It's the love that can only be created by the Holy Spirit when He pours that love into us, the love of God. It's a love that has the power to to bind our lives to one another as Jesus did when He ate with sinners and and fed the multitude. It's, It's a love that ties our life to the same purpose as other believers. It causes us to join together in a cause like the food bank on Saturday is coming up. And we'll join together to, to feed people who need a helping hand and a lifting up in life. And and the free yard sale will have along with that that people can just come and, and get something that they might need. And maybe a bite to eat just before as we reach out into our community. That's the kind of love that he's talking about. It, it brings us together for a common cause. And, and it's not for anybody's glory but for his. It's a kind of love that helps us to surrender our will to one another and be of the same mind. To understand and feel with one another. To forgive, to forgive others. Always. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. We're going to talk about that more next week. It's the kind of love that helps us sacrifice for one another as Jesus was about to do when he would go to the cross for each of us. It's the kind of love that seeks the welfare of others as we Welcome, without judgment, new people into our congregation. This new commandment is the mark of a real disciple. John 15. Maybe they just didn't get her. Maybe Jesus could see the bewilderment in their eyes. Look at John 15 with me. In verse 12. Jesus has gone on to talk about several things about abiding in him he's the vine and, and you're the branches and, and about uh, praying and, and staying in commune with the father and then in verse uh, 12 of chapter 15 this is a, just a continuation remember it was like he was saying this new commandment I give to you but then he goes on because he knew they didn't understand then he says in verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He repeats it again. Teachers do that for emphasis. Parents do that. Because many times we would say something to our child and it's just kind of like, Okay, you've got to get your attention. Look me in the eye. Look me in the eye. I want to know that you hear me. Look at me. 
I used to do that with students. Look at me. You're not you're not here and you're not getting it. The light's not coming on. So look at me. It's like Jesus is doing that with the disciples. Then in verse in uh, verse uh, seventeen, he does it again. These things I command you that you love one another. If it hadn't been important, Jesus wouldn't have emphasized it so much. Do you think he remembered the little squabbles between the disciples as he was trying to get them past that point in their life? I think so. He wants them to be the example of his love to the world once he's gone. First Corinthians chapter 13. What's that called? The love chapter. We've heard it read and sung and recited and all kinds of things, especially at weddings. Let's turn there and just look at that for just for a moment. First Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. Now, the King James translates that word agape there, charity. So, if it's also translated charity as well as love, what do you think that kind of love is? It's a giving love. When you think of charity, you think about giving. So it's a giving love. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have not the gift of, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. He's not looking how much work you can do around the church even though that's important he's not looking for how well you can sing in the choir or how well you can understand and, and break down scripture but he's looking for us to love one another look what it does though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and we do that it's important he's not telling us not to do it though I give my body to be burned but have not loved it profits me nothing if we hand out that food on Saturday and we don't love those people, we may as well have gone out there and buried it in the yard. But I know that we're going to do that out of a heart of love. We're going to figure out ways to reach into the lives of some of those folks. Because God sending them to our back door, our side door, let me put it that way. We need to reach them. There's many of them that, I promise you, don't attend church anywhere because they don't feel worthy to be there. That's nothing but a lie from the pits of hell. They don't feel worthy. I promise you, you talk to them and get to know them. And they have a low self-esteem and they don't feel worthy to step foot in the house of God. Some of them have been hurt. And they don't want to be hurt anymore. We've got to be a church that will love them beyond all those kinds of things. Love suffers long and is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, does not provoke things no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. In other words, if I have a brother or sister that's fallen, I'm, I'm not going to be down on them. I'm going to be burdened and compassionate and have passion. And I'm going to rejoice in the truth. Bear all things, believe all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love sometimes 
love never, never fails. Fails at what? I think it's left it open-ended there because love never fails at anything. Love overcomes all. It conquers self and his pride. You go back and read through that list. Broken relationships, judgmental hearts, God's descent. God decides when he's finished, not us. And we are to love unconditionally. Love does not rejoice when someone fails, but rejoices in the truth. Sometimes love does require some boundaries. That's when it becomes difficult, especially with children. We love them so much we don't want them to hurt, but sometimes the hurt is what brings about correction in their life. Dr. Henry Cloud does a phenomenal job in a book called Boundaries talking about those things. At the end of this series, the following week, two weeks from today, we're going to look at how all three of these go together and how we can set boundaries that are scriptural that causes some hard love sometimes. How they go together, some practical ways that they fit into our lives as Christians, those boundaries that we have to put up sometimes. Especially in relationships that are close. It's difficult sometimes to love rather than enable. Number three in your notes, we need to emulate his love. He says, as I have loved you. I can just see the amazement on the, the way you loved us. We're just not there yet. I, I can see the response in the disciples' face now. I, I don't know about that, Jesus. I love you, but I don't know if I love you that much. I've seen how you give without partiality. When you fed the 5,000, you didn't separate anybody. You fed them all. God, there's some people in there that I don't really like. I don't know that I'm going to invite them to my Christmas party. Love like I've loved. You mean the way that you spent yourself day after day after day and then you pulled away to be refreshed just so you could do it again? That way? And then, as he would go on to explain to them in John fifteen thirteen, he says, Greater love has no one than this. And he told them this because it was about what he was getting ready to do, that to lay down one's life for his friend. No greater love. So when we feel like we've loved long enough, we're at the end of our rope, or you feel in the bar. Remember, Jesus loved to death. Loved unto death. Not only did he love unto death, but he loved that was sacrificial and giving and exhausting and tiring and long hours and long suffering while he was here. And he knows how to love you still today. And sometimes we feel like we're not loved. Even by him, but I want to assure you today, according to the authority of Scripture, not by what I say, but according to the authority of Scripture, even when we feel like he doesn't love us, he still loves us. 
We need to remember that and bank on that truth. Even when we don't feel like we're loved, He still loves us. When things are difficult, it just may be that without that difficulty, we might not truly know how to love one another in a similar situation. Maybe we need to reevaluate and love differently. I know I do. Jesus tells them to love one another so that all will know. It begins with us. Number four in your notes. Avoid love's substitutions. Avoid love's substitutions. I can remember early on when we were in business and it was probably in the early 90's it was a lot easier for me to reach in my pocket and hand somebody 20, 50, 100 than it was to really love them. Money wasn't the issue love was the issue because I was substituting money. When sometimes it wasn't money they really needed. It just, they just needed to be loved. Jesus repeats again. He repeats this over and over and over in Scripture. Love one another as I love you. Remember last week's measurement that we talked about? The way that I judge, I'm going to be judged and you go back and read that. He talks about love just a little bit in that part of that passage too. And, he, and it, it applies there. The way that I love is the way that I'm going to be loved. Jesus wants to make sure that we understand as he did those disciples that day. He wants to make sure we get it. Four substitutes for real love. Shallow love. Shallow love. It's that love that says as long as things are going good, yeah, we can work together. I'll love I'll love you as long as you don't cost me anything. As long as you don't cost me my time or my ball game that I want to watch rather than maybe helping you along the way. Niceness. Sometimes it's it's just to escape or to avoid confrontation. We're just going to be nice to people and hope they're nice back to us and even if I don't agree with them or, or something that's in their life that we need to talk about or something in my life, I'm just going to be nice and we're going to avoid all confrontation and we're just going to love one another. That's not really loving one another. We need to be willing to allow accountability in a reciprocating manner. If we're not, if niceness is not going to lead us anywhere when it comes to love. Because deep relationships, guess what? Get really messy sometimes. And we need to love one another well enough to get past the niceness and be willing to confront and be accountable to one another. Selective love. James chapter 2 says we're to love without partiality. doesn't matter what you have or don't have. The poor and the rich alike. You gotta love one another. And the last one, servant. 
sometimes we feel like we're loving somebody just because we serve them. And sometimes when we serve them to the point of, of enabling, we are passing the point of love. Sometimes we serve in the church. I serve in the church, so I must love people. Not necessarily. Maybe that's just a substitute if you really having to get messy in a relationship. But you'd have to really admit, even though you do it week in and week out, it's not out of love for people. It's out of, of the commitment that you made, and you don't want to back up on your word, but it's not out of love. Five, number five in your notes, things that amplify love. And they're all down there on your in your notes. Listening. Listen. Do you really listen when people talk to you? We have two ears and one mouth. We ought to listen twice as much as we talk. I'm not very good at that. But do we really listen to people? Do we look them in the face? Do we repeat what they said to make sure that we understood what they said and allow them to explain? But sometimes we're just give me the facts. Let me move on. And grace. We need to have grace. We need to, we're going to support you and help help you through this difficult time in your life. Believing, believing people. We never know. We talked about this last week. We never know why some things happen that people react and act the way they do. We don't know. We just see the outward expression. We need to believe in people. God's not finished yet. If he was, you wouldn't still be here. You can believe in people, each other, limiting. Sometimes this far and no farther for the benefit of the person to make some progress in their life. That's that boundary that I'm talking about. Or you enable them to stay in the dilemma in which they find themselves. Sacrificing. We need to sacrifice. That's one of the qualities of love. This will cost me, but I've learned to love you. And because I love you, this is just what we do for one another. It's part of my heart. It's part of my lifestyle. And because I love you, we're going to get through this together. And when we do, the benefits will be well worth the sacrifice. There's no message good enough. There's no song great enough. No program exciting enough to compensate for the lack of love in God's house. If we don't have love, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, and what we do will account for nothing. I'm so glad that we do that well. But I want us to do some things that makes people on the outside look at and say they are really God's disciples because they love one another. It's just different at Eastside Baptist Church. We need to become a church that that's part of our lifestyle. To love one another. We welcome without judgment. And we love without condition. And it's just who we are. That's what we do because that's who we are.
after the youth you know, you this morning. What happens when you squeeze a lemon? You get lemon juice out of it. I hope when Eastside Baptist Church gets squeezed, they're going to see love without conditions and people that welcome without judgment, even when you get squeezed.